a lot of us wait until we believe that we are this kind of like alcoholic label so you know you'll hear people say oh you're not that bad it's not like you're an alcoholic rather than being like actually is this a problem in your life is it causing you stress is it damaging your relationships and and all those things it was doing to me i founded the bewell collective a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Deaths from alcohol hit a record high during 2020. Alcohol sales in stores were up 54% in late March, compared to that time last year, while online sales were up nearly 500% in late April. Excessive drinking can cause a host of problems, from liver disease, obesity, breast cancer, depression, suicide, and a whole range of cardiovascular problems. It can also lead to harmful interactions with prescription drugs, dehydration, and poor sleep. However, Non-alcoholic drinks have exploded and the Alcoholic Change UK found that 7% of 2,000 people surveyed had stopped drinking completely in lockdown. So what's your view on drinking and how have your drinking habits changed in the last year? It's a conversation that I constantly find myself in with people, especially in clinic. And today I'm so excited to have on Millie Gooch. She is one of the leading voices pioneering the sobriety movement in the UK today. In February 2018, after years of partying and hangovers started taking a toll on her mental health, Millie gave up alcohol and seven months later founded the incredibly successful Sober Girl Society, an online and real-life space for women who don't drink booze. I hope you enjoy this episode today and decide whether you might want to start becoming Sober Curious. Welcome really to Live Well, Be Well. Thanks so much for coming on today. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, I'm really well. Um, So without further introduction, um, I feel like hopefully many people will know who you are because you are pioneering the movement in sobriety, I think, in the UK at the moment, which is amazing because, I mean, can I say your age? 29? 29, yeah, correct. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Which is really influential for so many young men and women out there that are looking to head towards sobriety or not drinking. Would you be able to explain a bit about your story about how you arrived at sobriety at, at a young age? Yeah, of course. So um, my career in drinking, I would say, was relatively (laughs) short-lived but very action-packed. So I actually, like, kind of in British terms, was a bit of a latecomer to drinking. So I actually didn't really start drinking until I went to uni. And I am an August birthday, so I'm like the last one in my year to kind of, like, turn the next stage. So I turned 18 and then literally three weeks after went to university and I went to Sussex in Brighton and I'd come from this like really small town in Kent to going to this like 
a place where there was just nightclubs on the seafront and bars down every street and you know I remember getting a shot glass in my freshers week welcome pack and I was just thrust into this this culture and basically went from someone who didn't really drink at all to someone who drank kind of like three four nights a week and I always say I never really learned to drink sensibly Uh, it was just straight from zero to 100 so you know, we used to go to Oceana and it was double uh, double vodka Red Bulls for one pound fifty. Did you? Yeah, I mean I still love a good Oceana like that. And it was yeah, one pound fifty for double vodka no, sorry, triple vodka Red Bulls, that's a lie. We used to get two two pint two um two lots, tip them into a pint glass. So it was like six shots in one. So wow. that was like pretty much how my drinking would continue for the kind of like next few years. <laughs> so I, I always say like it's a it's a miracle I left with a degree at all because I was pretty much drunk for the whole three years and then I kind of went to work uh, in fashion so I did PR and then I went into journalism and it was very much you know like lots of nice parties Prosecco in hand when you got there Mm. and I started blacking out a little bit more embarrassing myself at work parties I would commute home from London to Kent and I would end up at train stations miles away from my house and have to get like 200 pound Ubers home wow um and then I started getting that classic like I don't know what you call it I call it anxiety but like beer fear Sunday scaries yeah so I started getting that like really really badly and that would last like three or four days and kind of creeping up to I would say around 23 24 um, I kind of started to notice alcohol's impact on my mental health so I would spend a lot of my kind of Friday Saturday night out partying would spend the rest of the weekend hungover didn't see daylight avoiding texts um, not making any social connection ordering Domino's pizza for breakfast and then feeling better by like Wednesday Thursday and then being like a goldfish and going I know what will make me feel great I'm gonna go out and get drunk again so just in this like real cycle of being hungover, being anxious, uh, wanting to feel better, so drinking, and just just like a standard kind of party go. I didn't really question it. I mean, when I when I was at university, it was when like Geordie Shaw was at its like prime, and everyone was going out and getting mortal, and that's kind of how I modelled my drinking. Um, so when I was twenty six, I went on a night out, and I by this point had was really suffering with blackouts in terms of not remembering a lot of my night um putting myself in some I would say vulnerable situations and I woke up um it was in February 2018 didn't remember really any of my night and just thought I cannot do this anymore my life is at groundhog day I'm really miserable all the time I'm anxious all the time um I was exhibiting symptoms of depression and I just didn't want to keep doing it anymore so I read a book called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray, who is an amazing writer. And it just changed my kind of like perspective on sobriety and and not drinking. And then three years later, here we are. Um, I haven't had any alcohol since that day. Wow. I mean, that's a really impressive story because I feel like a lot of people have a big night out and wake up and go, I'm not drinking anymore. You know, a week later or comes the weekend and was like, oh, I'll have one. But, you know, you were really committed and that was a real turning point. And what for me, how you're describing it sounds like heavy binge drinking as opposed to being alcoholic. But how would you describe yourself? Would you ever resonate with the term alcoholic? Yeah, so I would always say I was like a kind of binge drinking party girl. But it's an interesting Mm. conversation in itself because 
alcoholic isn't really a word that is even kind of used in medical literature anymore. It's like alcohol use disorder. And there is actually a wider conversation around whether we should be using the label alcoholic because rather than you know us questioning whether our drinking isn't serving us, is maybe a problem in our lives, a lot of us wait until we believe that we are this kind of like alcoholic label. So you know, you'll hear people say, oh, you're not that bad. It's not like you're an alcoholic rather than being like, actually, is this a problem in your life? Is it causing you stress? Is it damaging your relationships? And and all those things it was doing to me. But of course, I just thought, oh, it's normal. You know, I'm not an alcoholic. So that can really keep a lot of people stuck, at least it did in my case, from kind of questioning their drinking and whether they should remove it out of their lives. So there is kind of like this whole conversation now of, you know, do we start changing the words that we're using? Because actually there's no kind of like medical test to diagnose someone as an alcoholic. It is a decision that is made up to the drinker. And, you know, a lot of us will take the questionnaire and we'll go, oh, I only hit, you know, six out of 10 boxes. So I'm fine. It's all right. So the, it isn't a label that I particularly identify identify with and I think the kind of conversation is changing around those kind of labels anyway I put out some questions on Instagram and one of them was do I have to hit rock bottom to be labeled an alcoholic and to get help and I think that really shocked me in a way because as you were saying we label this term and then you think well I'm not going to get help or I'm not that bad yet to hit rock bottom but hitting rock bottom is the worst place you never want to be and it's not looking at kind of the preventative care that actually you can take these great steps like you do to saying actually it's got a bit out of control and that's now become a social norm in my life that's how I cope with stress um, although it's actually causing you more stress. So it's a coping mechanism for a lot of people. And I think that has been a social norm. And you mentioned something actually really interesting that you said, I wasn't really a drinker until I went to university. Whereas if you look at kind of the European culture where alcohol has been introduced at a much early age or something that's you don't go and binge drink, you might have a small, small glass of wine with your dinner and then that's it. As that culture grows up, they don't have this urgency to, to go out and, and obviously binge drink and have everything in one go because it's kind of been demonized until that point. You know, what's your thoughts on our culture of, of drinking and, you know, how we are in the Western world, especially in the UK with our drinking culture? Yeah, I think I always say there isn't a healthy way to drink because Mm -hmm. alcohol is not healthy, however much we like to pretend it is. But there is definitely a healthier way to drink. And I think that kind of European culture is definitely the healthier way to drink. And you're right, for so many of us, it's like a coping mechanism. And it's, it's, I always say it's really strange in the way that we use the same thing for celebration that we use for commiseration. So we use the same thing for like job promotion that we would use when we lose a loved one. Whereas if we kind of make those questions or like ask ourselves those questions and when we're drinking, drink more mindfully. So, you know, am I drinking because... I love the taste of this red wine. It's my favorite red wine. I want a glass with dinner and, you know, that's going to be it. I'm just going to savor it. Or are we drinking because we're really stressed and we're just mindlessly like knocking back vodkas because we want to numb it out? So I think there's definitely ways that we can kind of uh, drink more mindfully. And I mean, sober curious is a big term now. So I think that is fantastic. And I think that the European way to drink is probably the, the much better way to drink. And it does bring up all those questions of like, well, should the, the, the kind of like legal limit go down? Should we maybe introduce it earlier? But it's quite hard to do those like hypothetical sort of like oh well maybe we should give everyone their first glass of wine at you know 13 but yeah it's, it's a tricky conversation but I definitely think there are 
healthier ways to drink and people do have healthier relationships with alcohol than I certainly did. Yeah. And so what's your view when you think about alcohol now? Yeah, I I mean, I, all my friends and family drink. So I don't think all oh, like all oh, alcohol demon, get it away from me. I can be around drunk people like that's fine. Well, but, it must be quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there gets a point when you hear a story for like the fourth time, that's when you're like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of over it now. But I think, you know, as long as people drink kind of like sensibly around me. But for me, I know that it brings nothing good to my life. Like everything good I have in my life is because I stopped drinking. And it sounds really like cliche and annoying, but there isn't one part of my life that hasn't got better since stopping drinking, whether that is like energy, clarity, mental health, physical health, productivity, like just absolutely everything in my life is better for not drinking. So when I ever think about oh do do I want to go back to it I'm like no because it didn't bring me anything good everything good I have is because of not drinking so it's not like I think of it as the devil but I mean there are there are some like damages that it does cause in our society and I think that is really important to talk about for some people that might be started to be intrigued about being super curious or giving up alcohol you know, and they're worried about the social norms. They're worried about coming out of lockdown and actually having to go back into the world and think I'm going to be in pubs and in bars and that could be quite a trigger for me. What if people judge me? Like, what's your advice? How did you tackle that initial judgment and people taking you seriously and supporting you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say like they are definitely not alone because it's so interesting. But one of the hardest things that people say to me about not drinking is other people, which is such a shame because you're like, if everyone was going to really get on board and support you, like, would you be totally comfortable in making this decision? And they're like, yeah, I would. It's other people's reactions. It's, you know, other people's judgments, the peer pressure, being around drunk people. It's it's all of those things. So, I mean, the, the one thing I would say is kind of like be honest honest and be confident and own it so you know if you ever say to people oh I'm on antibiotics or you know I'm just driving tonight they will say oh what antibiotics are there oh yeah my friend had like a knee replacement last year and she was on them and she can drink so you'll be fine or they'll say I'll come and get your car in the morning it's fine as soon as people know they can like push you a little bit they they will they will you give them an inch they take a mile as the saying Mm -hmm. is so if you just kind of say be really honest which is what I tried to do and just said look it's making me feel really rubbish any fun I have the night before is totally negated by how I feel the next day I just want to take a break at least see how I feel like I'm still going to come out I'm still going to have fun I'm actually going to be a better friend you're not going to have to carry me out of club toilets crying you're not going to have to pay for my uber because I've lost my purse like all these good things that you're going to benefit from as well and I just really appreciate it if you're going to support me and most people when you kind of say it like that they're like oh okay well how can I really argue with that I think it does take time to become that confident in the decision as well so if you need to at the start you know like maybe trust a couple of people with it maybe get really picky about where you go who you hang out with I'm certainly a lot more discerning of the places I go to now so I don't like to go to places where I can't have conversations with people. Uh, I like to go to places that have got like a good selection of alcohol-free drinks. I'm a lot pickier with where I go. I won't tend to, 
you know, go to nightclubs on a minibus that are like an hour away just because someone said it's a club that we have to go to. I'll like go a bit locally or so those kind of things I would say. But just being really honest with people about how alcohol is is making you feel. And I think you'll be surprised actually about how many people also feel the same way. The amount of people that I've said it to and they're like, do you know what? I kind of think I want to do that for a bit or I've been thinking of taking a break for a while. So that's yeah, just just be honest is like the main thing I would say. And how would your, um, how in the beginning, was it quite difficult when you were out and you, was there a confidence thing where you're thinking, oh, am I having a good time because everyone's just drinking? Because there is that social norm that if you are in a, in a bar, it's all about like, let's have the next drink, I would say, especially if you're young, you know, what would you give to those people that might be having anxiety when they're actually out and they're not drinking? Is there any advice you give to them? Yeah, I would say like get yourself in a really good headspace as well before you go out. There's some like real practical things that you can do. So I know that if I'm tired, drunk people are a lot more annoying. So I will make sure that I have like napped before I go out at the very least. Um, even down to like planning your outfit the night before. So say if I'm going out, I would traditionally try and get ready, fluster about, try on four different outfits, decide I hate them all and then go, oh, do you know, whatever, I'll just get drunk and then I won't mind. So, you know, picking out something plenty of time in advance, maybe having a bath before, maybe like some exercise to shake off any nervous energy. Um, But yeah, like stick local, make sure you know what kind of alcohol free options are there. It's also sometimes like the first drink is the hardest decision to make. So you'll have that like, oh, am I going to drink tonight? Am I not? If you just get in there, head straight to the bar, maybe even look at the menu beforehand, know exactly what alcohol-free option you want, go up, order it. As soon as it's in your hand, that's the decision made. So don't even like allow that to be a question because the minute you kind of think, oh, or maybe I could just have one tonight, like that's it, game over. You have to kind of like go in there really strong. But in terms of the kind of social anxiety, there, there isn't like a, a magic cue of here you go, this is how you're going to be able to get through a social situation. I always just say it is time and practice. And mm. we call alcohol like liquid courage for a reason because it does give you confidence and courage. Mm-hmm. But the next day, that kind of confidence and courage is gone along with the drinking. That's that's not there anymore. But when you start to do things without a drink, mm-hmm. I always say you build this like real kind of innate confidence and that's one that like stays with you because you wake up the next morning you go oh I did that night out and actually it wasn't that bad and actually I think I enjoyed myself a a, a bit I know I can do it again and then you slowly 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 start to feel more confidence and now three years in if someone said oh let's go on you know like a a week Hindu to Ibiza I'm like yes great I'm there like I don't have any social anxiety about it but that has taken a while yeah you have to get to that place and I think it's the same as any change in lifestyle that you make it doesn't just happen overnight and you go great I'm completely used to this now it's it's forming a habit and then allowing yourself the benefits of what you've said you know there's so many great things about giving up alcohol that's improved my life it's when you actually start feeling better maybe you're looking better maybe you're looking sharper maybe your skin is better you've got more energy your relationships that actually think well is definitely worth it but you have to endure that to get the results and get the benefits so you know how has your relationship improved since you've stopped drinking because that's one of the things that you mentioned you know how has your relationship because I think a lot of people that might be single now in lockdown thinking oh my gosh I might go on a date and how could I go on a date if I was sober you know how has your relationship improved since you've given up drinking Yeah, so I actually did a year of sober dating. So that was interesting in itself um, because I think I'd done drunk dating before and that was a totally different experience. So 
you know, I thought sober dating was going to be so scary and just like a night out, the kind of first few were, and then you kind of get used to it. But I thought, you know, everyone's reaction would be, oh, you're boring, you know, how unfun are you? Or or all those classic lines that people sometimes come out with. And actually, I would say 95% of people were really impressed and were also kind of like, oh, wow, she's got the confidence to come on a date sober. That's that's kind of interesting. So that would definitely be like one positive thing was that I, I genuinely think people reacted in a much nicer way than I thought they were going to. And also I just found dating a lot easier in a way and also a kind of nicer experience because, you know, when I was drinking, I thought everyone was the one because Volker can convince you that they are. So the next day or the next time I'd meet them, I'd be like, oh, actually, I think we were just both incredibly pissed. I don't I don't think there was that much of a spark there. Whereas when you're kind of sober dating, you can tell straight away like, oh, yeah, there's good chemistry. I like this person. They're funny. And you spot red flags as well. I think when you're drunk, people might say things and they just kind of woo, go over your head. Mm-hmm. But when you're sober, you can like see those things. So I think I was like a lot more discerning when I was kind of sober dating. And then, you know, I've been in relationships when I was a drinker and I've been in relationships as a sober person. And I can say it is so much better. There's no like silly drunk arguments of like things said and I don't hold things in and then unleash them when I'm pissed. I've, I've now got used to, oh, actually, if this is a problem, then I need to say it now so getting better at communicating it's had like such a good knock-on effect in and even just like platonic relationships as well with my friends like they have massively improved I'm not the flaky friend I'm not the one who bails on brunch the next day because I've hung over so yeah I just all my relationships really I always say my mum doesn't worry anymore at 3am so that's a good one that's a great one that you're probably fast asleep by that time anyway yeah, that's probably exactly why. she's like oh where's Millie oh yeah she was in bed at 10 and you never have a hangover never which I think is amazing well do you ever have a sugar hangover do you ever seem to drink because the one thing I think that if you're giving up alcohol there's all these amazing mocktails out there now aren't there and being a nutritionist um it's one thing that i can see in people's diets is the increase in sugar sweetened beverages um not just people that don't drink just generally in society the increase of sugar sweetened beverages and obviously alcohol was a lot of sugar anyway but so can non-alcoholic alternatives as well so what's your view on that because as a nutritionist i try to you know obviously we want to keep things exciting if you're not drinking but also do you have to be aware of how much sugar we're consuming at the same time? So what's your view? Do you ever get a sugar hangover when you wake up the next day? Do you know what? I used to, but I would say like in the last three years, the the, the kind of offering of non-alcoholic beverages has increased and, and healthy options as well, which is amazing. There are like new things launching all the time. So, you know, like kombucha or the non-alcoholic spirits and, you know, a lot more low sugar drinks, which is amazing because when I first started, it was... Bex Blue uh, or literally like a really sugary juicy mocktail and that was kind of the two options whereas now Mm. there's so many different things that you can have which is great so I definitely did at the start but you you also sometimes get the odd phantom hangover which is like if I do go on a night out with my friends 
I think a lot of it is to do with being tired as well. If we go yeah. out, it's like 3 a.m. If one of them's a smoker and I want to get some fresh air, I'll go out in the smoking area with them. And then you kind of wake up with that like a, a bit of a smoky, you know, like in your hair. And you kind of get that phantom hangover. You don't wake up every single day feeling super, super fresh. But nine times out of ten, you do, which is great. A top tip. Well, not top tip. Kind of information about hangovers, actually. Alcohol suppresses the release of vaspressin which is a hormone produced by the brain that sends signals to the kidneys, causing them to retain fluid. So as a result, alcohol increases duration and excess loss of fluid. So that's why we wake up so dehydrated, gasping for water, and we have fatigue and a headache and all of those things. And as well, it causes so much irritation within our gut and our GI systems because it directly irritates the lining of our stomach. And so we can wake up and have bad stomachs the next day, diarrhea, lots of bloating, nausea. So like all of these things together come from, which is what the word is a hangover. And you said something really interesting on your IG the other day that I picked up on. It's only recently been called a hangover. Yeah, yeah. Can you so explain it was, that? Yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't called a hangover until I think it was the 19th century. So, and even in the 19th century, hangover was used to describe unfinished business. So it wasn't until 1904 that hangover actually became a term that people used for alcohol. So before that, the term well, a long time ago was crapulous, which comes from the Latin word crapula, which means intoxicated. So, I mean, I know Latin is like a dead language now, but people would have said, yeah, I've, I feel crapulous. And that would be your hangover, which I just think is such a good word to describe it. It's, I think it emphasises everything you feel, crapulum. Yeah, completely crapulous. I feel we should bring it. it back. Yeah, I think it's a better word than a hangover. I think hangover is too tame for what you feel. Well, I mean, I only read a couple of facts there and there's so many more facts than that of why you feel so horrific Yeah, a hangover. And that was there, two of about eight facts. There, were, there was a study once that... Um, I'll have to dig it out for you, but it said there are 47 symptoms of a hangover. Yeah, I can imagine that actually. Because everybody, and I always say this in all my podcasts, but everybody is completely individual. We all react to it completely differently. Um, And I think actually just to pop in there, we should maybe just say that if you're not sober um, or sober curious, you know, you are only recommended to drink 14 units a week. So just put that in there. And I think some people don't actually know what 14 units is a week translating that into terms and so every single drink has a different strength so it's very hard to base it on each individual drink but if you're looking at wine it's around one seven mils um which is six glasses a week so six glasses of medium medium small wines which probably some people might be listening and that might have been you millie back at 25 thinking oh my gosh i definitely drink more than that on a night out let alone in a week and I also think people don't realise as well, like even when you say 175, people are probably like, oh yeah, I drink that. And then if you actually get them to measure their drinks, they're like, oh, so like one really good kind of like harm reduction thing, I would say like get a wine measurer, actually measure it out so that you know how much you're drinking because otherwise it's just so easy to drink a hell of a lot more than you should be. What would your advice be to anybody that wants to aim towards becoming super curious but wants to start cutting down because I would always say you know 
spread your drinking so don't leave it all to the weekend I think that's one thing especially looking at the government's announcement of when pubs and bars are going to open they just they've done it on a Monday yeah that to me makes think yeah if it wasn't a Friday I think everybody would be using their units and more in that in that one day so you know what would your what would your advice be to people that are like actually I want to start giving up drinking a little bit more what would the first steps be to doing it yeah, I would say like um, rather than saying, oh, I'm only going to have like two or three this night, I would as well take drink-free days because actually the way that alcohol kind of affects our brain is it affects the rational decision-making part of your brain. So mm-hmm. this is why like moderation is quite hard because even if you said, I'm only going to have two or three, that's it, I'm only going to have two or three. As soon as you have those two or three, your the way your brain has been affected means that your willpower and your resolve will not be the same as it was three drinks ago. So you're more likely to go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have a fourth and I'm going to have a fifth. Whereas if you do some dedicated like drink-free days, then you know that you will stay at zero. So that's like a an easy one you know question the motivation behind your drinking are you drinking because you're happy and you love that drink and you love the taste of it or are you just drinking because you're stressed and you want to take the edge off and actually you're not even paying attention to whatever it is you're drinking you just want to get it in you (laughs) so that's like the other thing that I would say you know always eat that is a really good one to like stop yourself getting too drunk never do shots that's that's the (laughs) quickest way to get yourself in a blackout I hate shots anyway I don't know why people do. I mean, I yeah. know why people do them to get drunk quite quickly, but it, I don't understand the enjoyment. No, I mean, I say no. I, I used to love a shot. I used to love a tequila or a Jaeger bomb. So, yeah, I can't can't really comment. But I mean, the, the, the alcohol free drinks now that are so good. So I would say well, what's at least your favorites because I know oh. that we sent you some days actually who are supporting this podcast and they're awesome. Those guys days are fantastic. Them? Yeah, I tried it actually. I tried the lager and it was really good. Mm. Um, and actually, I um, dropped one at my dad's house and he tried the pale ale and he was like, it's really great because he so he actually had a stroke last year and hasn't drunk since his stroke so uh, he's now my like protege of, of uh, sobriety <laughs> my dad some days too <laughs> yeah see <laughs> so we'll have our day our dad's on the uh the same on the day in no time this felt like the perfect time to speak about our sponsors for today's podcast days brewing Now, they could not be more perfect for this episode because they are a true non-alcoholic drink that both Millie and I really enjoy. They taste delicious and my dad, who's the hardest person to impress, also loves them. Unlike other non-alcoholic beverages, they are truly 0.0 ABV. All their beers are vegan and they're made with 100% natural ingredients. Days are also committed to supporting mental well-being initiatives with 2% of all their profits going to support these. Days celebrate all the positive reasons, just like Millie, for drinking less alcohol together and doing more with your time. So just for my listeners, Days Brewing have been really generous and they've given us a special discount code for 20% off your order. All you need to do is pop in the code BEWELL in checkout and you are on your way to being sober curious. Um, I love love days there's another beer called Lucky Saint which I really like um, mm-hmm. there's so many good spirits now so like Caleno Atopia Amplify I mean it, it's so good now you can get absolutely 
anything. So like, if I you got want... sent a CBD one the other day, a non-alcoholic yeah. CBD drink, and it was actually delicious. Loads of good ones. There's so mm. many good. Like I love kombucha as well, and there's a brand called Liars, and it's basically named after the like liar bird, which is a, a bird that like mimics, and so they have like mimicked the entire back bar. So every kind of like a whiskey alternative, a rum alternative, a coffee liqueur alternative, they do one for everything. Um, so that's a really good brand. They're an Aussie brand, worth checking out. But that's another you know really good way to reduce your drinking. Even if one night you just say, okay, well, I'm just going to have these alcohol-free drinks. If you experiment, find one you love, even substituting it in between drinks. So maybe you do have a normal beer and then you have an alcohol-free beer and then a normal beer rather than having three, just reducing it slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good um, a really good alternative. I mean, I found Seedlip. How many years ago did I find that? Probably around three years ago. And I remember going into a bar and ordering it and it was ordered the same as a with my friend who had a gin and tonic and they made it exactly the same she had no idea that it was an alcohol it also cost the same which was was why she probably had no idea that it was an alcohol yeah. she was like well it's, yeah about the same price as my gin and tonic I mean that whole the whole norm of it being made and given to you like how it was done made you feel like I was drinking anyway but I don't know if you felt this and I don't you obviously don't because you're drinking a lot of these but some of my friends that were alcoholics actually have to abstain completely from any alcohol-free alternatives because it also can ignite them to feel like they're drinking again. Have you had anyone similar that's, that's had that issue as well? Yeah, so we always say like on the Sober Girl Society platform, if these are triggering, like please avoid them, stick to kind of like the sodas or the really good sparkling waters because some people do find them triggering. I would say it is quite a small percentage, but it is Mm. definitely a thing. The majority of people find them quite helpful, like as a good substitute and Mm. to, you know, even if you go to a party and you can turn up with one of these things and it immediately stops people, first of all, going, why have you turned up with like a bottle of Diet Coke? Like at least if you just come, with like an alcohol free beer people don't even really like think twice so yeah there is definitely that disclaimer but they've done a lot of research into it as well and how for a lot of people it has dramatically helped reduce their drinking I never thought of that as a trigger until somebody told me that and it did make sense but as you said it's it's a small percentage so I guess you have to see what's right right for you as an individual now I wanted to talk to you a little bit about social media because you're a huge role model for so many people on social media you know your personal page and also you know your sobriety page as well both of them are I mean hugely influential I would recommend everybody to follow both of them as well as read your book um but I didn't know if you'd heard about this is a few years ago and when I was researching about this podcast and and I think social media is such a a huge topic to talk about because it has a lot of influence over people um I came up across this name called and I might not pronounce it correctly but Louise Delage now have you ever heard of her no okay so she she is or she was I'd say she was actually a 25 Parisian girl on Instagram Okay, so her Instagram was filled full of her fun moments throughout her day. Um, But each picture digs a little bit closer into Louise's life. And you started to see telltale signs that she was addicted to alcohol. So every shot, she was standing maybe on a beach with a glass of wine. Maybe she's reading a book and there was a cocktail next to her. Um, But she always had a smile on her face. She was always at a party or always having her own moment. But there was always an alcoholic drink in her hand. Um, And it was later revealed, and this is about four years ago, that addicted 
80, now I'm probably saying that wrong because it's a French company, created the fictional character to raise awareness of those struggling to come to terms with their addiction. So they created this Instagram um, page with a huge following all about this woman's life. And if when I looked at it, I just thought, wow, that's about, that's a lot of normal people's Instagrams. And it is, it's about this perception that you have on Instagram of your everyday fun life and the impact that's having and the social norm it's created around drinking. What is your view on this with social media and drinking habits? Because it does seem, and it still is quite a cultural norm and you go into a Zoom party now and there's all like, let's have a Zoom night and everyone's drinking. Um, What's your view on this? Yeah, I mean, the alcohol industry have lucked out really because they don't even need to push, you know, marketing or get influencers on board because we are the own, like, we do the marketing for them basically with our drinking. So, you know, it is now an accessory to every kind of Instagram post that you have. And once you see it you can't unsee it of how many people are drinking in their kind of instagrams and it's true that you see the nice bits and then you don't see the hangover and this is not a judgment because I was just as guilty of doing this I would put up my pictures of my night out usually from the first hour when my makeup was still fresh and I looked nice and I had a drink in my hand and you know it would probably have a caption along the lines of you know cocktails with the girls or and then the next day when I was you know riddled with anxiety and shaking with anxiety and not wanting to speak to anyone not getting outside like really suffering nothing ghost on Instagram so we do really show the best side of alcohol the good side of alcohol and we don't even think about the fact that like it is a drug and that is what we're doing we are all kind of secretly drug pushing on online um, (laughs) and don't really kind of say anything about it and we're really hesitant with alcohol to talk about it in terms of mental health or it's just commonly avoided and even like with nutrition we see everyone like really conscious now of like we've got like a rise in veganism and and people are becoming really kind of conscious about their eating habits but they don't question alcohol a lot of them they'll just go oh yeah I'm doing this diet and I'm doing this but I'm going to wash it down with this drug and we just which will stop but it will stop the uptake of that nutrient as well because um the biggest thing with alcohol I'm sorry I'm not going to interrupt you but the biggest no no go for it with any, and I don't want to say I, it's we we say the term alcoholics just because that's what we'd use. Someone's taking into hospital, we put them straight on a thiamine drip, which is a B one, um, because it does when you're when you do have heavy drinking, it does stop the uptake of especially B vitamins, especially thiamine, which is B one, and that works with your central nervous system. So it has a huge impact, as you say. You know, yes, you might be um, becoming really aware of your health and your diet. But actually alcohol undoes, does, undoes a lot of that because you want to eat more because it increases your blood sugar. You know, you get more cravings, you get less sleep. So then that increases your hunger hormone, ghrelin, which wants you to eat more and it makes you crave sugar. And it's this kind of cycle that carries on and people can be very unaware of it. And I did a podcast last week with uh, Kirsten Jackson and she's a specialist dietitian in gastroenterology for IBS. And one of the things she said is alcohol is such a big trigger for people with IBS as well. Um, And I think, as you said, it's just not spoken about because it is this middle class accepting social norm that we have that well it's fine let's have a glass of wine because it's expensive and you know it means that I'm enjoying and de-stressing in my day but the the impact of that on your health is so much more than actually just changing your diet and alcohol is also very high in calories and sugar. 
So it has also a huge intake in energy as well. Did you see any difference in your in like in how you looked and anything in in that sense when you gave up alcohol? Were you making better food choice decisions and you know what was your impact on your diet? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think as well because it affected me so holistically. Even if it wasn't like oh, you know, the minute I stopped drinking, I got glowing skin because my kind of like anxiety reduced. I got out more. I saw. I got more sunlight. I exercised more, and that made me feel better. So it was like a whole kind of three sixty thing. Mm. But my energy honestly shot straight up because I was always tired. I was always saying, you know, I think I've got a thyroid problem. I think I've got this. No, I was just drinking too much, and that. <laughs> was the problem um and I think like you know I saw that straight away and even just like the mental clarity I wasn't foggy all the time I could actually concentrate on things and everything just improved and Mm. like physically and mentally and both of those had a knock-on effect because I felt better I looked better and because I looked better I felt better and it was yeah it was all kind of intertwined in one but yeah it is just really interesting that we we like to stay in denial about it and I think you know when I talk about sobriety it's I'm not trying to make everyone in the world become sober that's not my mission but as soon as you start talking about alcohol people are like oh no you're preachy if I was a nutritionist people might listen but as soon as I target alcohol specifically people think I want to take it away from them that you know I think that I'm converted and I want to convert everyone else that's not it but there's just conversations that we need to have and health risks that we need to talk about it and people just shut down they just don't want to have the conversation yeah I think that's a really interesting thing actually and you know what I can in in a strange way of how we accept nutrition now um, I mean it can be it can be interpreted in so many different ways some people take it to an extreme and that could be really unhealthy and some people can now just acknowledge that they eat a balanced way they're going to feel much better but I do think 10 years ago wasn't that socially accepted I do wonder now we're having these conversations I have to be honest until about a year ago I'd never really heard the term sober curious before and now I think oh I'm quite aware of it but I think if I said that to my parents they probably wouldn't know what that meant so for you like do you think it will become more acceptable and it will be more of a speaking point like could you explain what sober curious means does that mean that once you've made that choice you're never ever going to drink again because I think that's what can scare people yeah so sober curious actually came from Ruby Warrington who wrote the book sober curious which is a great book to start with as well um and it's basically a lot of people think it's about being curious about full-time sobriety which is not actually the meaning that she intended with it she kind of meant that it was getting curious about your relationship with alcohol thinking about the motivation like behind your drinking thinking about its place in society thinking about how much value you put on it so actually just initially starting to get curious about sobriety or not drinking so there's no pressure with the label sober curious to ever say I'm going to be a full-time non-drinker or I'm not going to drink for this long it's just actively having the conversation it's doing what we're doing now it's thinking actually am I giving too much power away to alcohol is it really serving me is it more of a problem than actually I'd like it to be? So it's just opening up that conversation, which I think is really nice. And I do think even, I started talking about sort of sobriety two and a half years ago now, and even in that two and a half years, the conversation has changed incredibly. Um, Now people actually are starting to want to talk about it, which is great. And I do hope that, you know, we've done veganism, we've done sustainability, we're having these really mindful conversations about all these things. 
I hope that Alco is possibly the next one that we all kind of wake up and go, oh, well, actually, yeah, maybe it's not the best thing in the world. And mm. maybe we can go out and, and not actually need it as a social lubricant. I think that will be the kind of next conversation. Social lubricant, what a great word. <laughs> Just oils us all up a bit, doesn't it? You mentioned something such as anxiety, which is, I would relate to that. That's something that I definitely get if I drink too much or I don't get enough sleep or alcohol obviously affects your sleep. So you never really get a good night's sleep anyway. But I think the anxiety is the one thing is the probably reason why I don't drink too much because I definitely would suffer with that quite heavily. So uh, anxiety uh, or hangover anxiety or the fear or the Sunday scaries, apparently in Australia, they call it booze annoyer. Um, and in Finland, they call it morkis, which means moral hangover, which I think is the term I like best, actually. So this is, it's kind of physical and mental. For me, a lot of it was mental. So it's that if you've ever woken up and been like, you know, who did I speak to? What did I say? Does everyone hate me? But also just generally feeling anxious, you know, worried about going into work the next day. I mean, my mind took me to the most ridiculous places when I was hungover. And even I had like quite bad health anxiety when I was hungover. So I'd be hungover and I'd feel myself and I'd go, no, I felt a lump. And I just my anxiety for everything was was off off the charts, I would say. But it's kind of twofold. It's um actually the chemical reactions in our brain when we drink and how like the next day because uh, some of the chemicals have been like slowed down so like next day we get like a spike in glutamate and that can bring on you know a spate of anxiety mm-hmm. so there's kind of that but then there's also I I had blackouts and memory dips so there was parts where I didn't remember my night or how I got home or who I'd spoken to so it's kind of like twofold but the actual kind of chemical effects for me actually took such a long time to wear off that I would only start feeling better towards midweek once you know I'd established that all my friends didn't hate me I hadn't embarrassed my life I'd finally found my purse and my I'd you know sent off for a new bank card once all those things had settled that's when I kind of felt better but it's interesting what you say about young people and social media and anxiety because I spoke to my parents about that hangover anxiety and they were like "Mm, no I don't really understand it like they didn't get it and I've spoken to a lot of older people And they've all kind of said like, no, hangover anxiety is not really a thing. So I was like, well, has it just been like invented for our generation? But I think there's a lot Mm. of added layers to it. And I think social media comes with that. Like when I was hungover, I was like, oh my God, what if someone's got a video of me? What if it's gone around on the internet? You know, viral video of girl pissing in the street in warehouse project. Like what, is that me? Or, you know, all these girls that go to Ascot and then someone films them and then they end up on the Daily Mail. There's all those kind of like, added layers of that instant documentation Mm -hmm. and even when I was at Mm -hmm. uni we used to take out cameras but you know the next day someone would actually have to plug it into their computer and manually upload it so by that point you could say look if there's any embarrassing ones of me please don't put them on there but these days you could be on a night out snapped upload it's already there so I think there's that whole other layer to it of as well of you know being kind of filmed or photographed or or all of those things and, and even having a phone I'm, I'm sure when my mum was drinking she wasn't able to accidentally drunkenly text her ex whereas that was something that I was doing when I was drinking mm-hmm. so that was another thing that I worried about in the morning I was like oh god I can't believe I did that I can't believe I text that person I can't believe I sent that message to so-and-so on Bumble like all those kind of other things I think added to the hangover anxiety so I think that might be why 
a lot more young people as well are struggling with it. I think that's a that's a really critical point, actually. It's about the after effects of alcohol, because at the time, you know, talking about mental health, it does make you feel great. It does make you feel relaxed. And I think that's why people end up wanting another drink and another drink. And it's, you know, it is a pharmaceutical drug in the same sense that you wouldn't go home and have, you know, drugs every evening or I hope that you wouldn't go home and have drugs every evening but people also feel it's socially acceptable to go home and have a glass of wine every night and after a while you know that if you are somebody that suffers with any type of mental health or it's anxiety or depression or low mood like this is only going to impact it more because alcohol is a depression there has been numerous studies that have found in the last year which have been done during the pandemic that people that have consumed alcohol have dramatically affected their um, increase in depressive symptoms as well so I think if there's anyone out there that is struggling because of lockdown and is turning to alcohol, it would probably would be advised to say, try and take steps between cutting down or maybe becoming sober curious like you. For you, what would be your top tips to give up alcohol or to make those changes? Yeah, I mean, there firstly is a space on the internet that a lot of people don't know about, which is totally dedicated to either mindful drinking, not drinking, sober curiosity, however you want to term it. So it's not like you need to reach out and get help to stop altogether. There's loads of courses that you can do, club soda, you can do one year, no beer. There's so many good support systems. So I would say, first of all, just research. I mean, I would say read Quitlet books, not just a plug for my book here, but in the back of my book, I've got um, a support and resources section, Ah, which you have in your hand. See, you will be able to demonstrate. I was like, could you see me trying to like, yeah. <laughs> try and like subtly get it out? <laughs> yeah, at the back, there's what I like to call the surprise, uh, sobriety yellow pages. So that's got like podcast recommendations, book recommendations, courses, programs, uh, people to follow on Instagram. It's got, it's like your beginner's guide to the sober curious, sober world. Oh, um, wow, so- there's loads in here. The Young Hearts Rum Free Romantic Relationships and Drink Free Dating. Yeah, a whole chapter on dating and the, the following one is on sober sex. So if you're worried about oh. that as a thing. That's, I didn't think about that, but actually yeah. most people when they bunk up together normally have a few drinks actually yeah yeah that's and and even people in relationships because they did a lot of um things that said that you know people who are in long-term relationships the time sometimes that they tend to hook up with their partner is you know when they've had a drink so it's kind of like learning how to do that again so there's yeah it covers basically everything you need to know about sobriety but in particular those kind of like last support resources section is a good place to start but yeah there's so many good places on the internet that you can look at books podcasts like there's a whole world out there of people that are ready to you know embrace you with open arms and help you change your relationship with alcohol Emily, where can they find you and the Sober Girl Society as well? Can you give the Instagram handles to them? Yeah, so my personal page is just at Millie Gooch. I mean, it's not that interesting. It's a lot of me and my dog and the occasional puzzle. And (laughs) and then Sober Girl Society, which is the community. So we do lots of like virtual events. Just before we kind of um, went into lockdown, we were doing loads of in real life events. So we were doing like bottomless boosters, brunches and dance classes and all fun things. So when the world opens up again, we'll be back to that. But in the meantime, there's loads of like resources and we've got a community blog and there's there's loads of other treats that you you can enjoy amazing and before we go a couple of questions that came in from instagram that i promised i would ask um, yeah. so actually this is quite a good one i know we're not in sober january anymore but it's just passed um so a lot of people obviously gave up, up, 
gave up alcohol for sober January. One question that came in was friends slash family accept dry January, such as I'm sure they accept sober October as well. But what would you say when it's not sober January? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the reasons I'm quite pro sober October and dry January is because it does give people a reason and often people do need a reason. Um, You can actually probably find any reason now because there's also dry July. There's sober spring that runs uh, from, I think it's, it's like the start of March to the end of May. So then you've got dry July, there's sober September that a lot of people like to do as well. Um, And then even remember your December is a campaign as well. So you can probably find the excuse if you need it. But I would just go back to that kind of honesty thing. I would, you know, say, actually, I did dry January. I felt really good for it. I want to continue it for, you know, maybe I always say a good place to start is 90 days. So I would just say, you know, I want to carry on for 90 days. I want to really try and push myself. I just want to see how I feel. I'm not sure if I'm going to commit to it as a long term thing. But, you know, I'd really appreciate if you get behind me and support me with it. And I think that honesty will then make people go, oh, yeah, okay. I think we are scared to have those conversations and we just assume that people won't accept it and that they'll call us boring but Mm. actually if we kind of really say look I really want to do this for me I'm still going to be a great friend if anything I'm going to be a better friend um I'm going to show up I'm going to be present and I'm going to save a load of money and I can buy you presents with it so (laughs) there you go (laughs) and that always gets people yeah exactly I always say look I don't know why you're moaning because you're all going to get in my car after this I'm all going to get you home safely that's very true isn't it I do find it really sad though when I feel that people feel so pressured to have to have an excuse not to drink rather than actually just saying it's because that's what I want to do. And I think as in anything, whether it's alcohol, whether it's in what you're eating, whether it's in how you're exercising, um, you know, if you're not doing something to a social norm, people always question it and judge it. And I think if that makes that person happy, then you should just be happy and supportive of them. And that's, Agreed. you know, that's probably what you should say, you know, is it affecting you? No. Is it making me feel great? Yes that's all that's the only excuse I need to give you right now Um, and so I think that can go with anything maybe not just alcohol with any kind of lifestyle change that you're making that's doing something that's going to optimize your life and make you feel better so the next one so we did we did cover this one so do you have to hit rock bottom to truly realize you're an alcoholic no you do not I think that is the problem with rock bottom and the notion of rock bottom is that, you know, we we can stop before it gets that bad. We don't have to wait. I mean, there's two analogies I always use. It's that, you know, would you wait until one of your lung collapses until you give up smoking? No, you will give it up because you know it's bad for you and you know that's probably the way it's going. And it's the same with uh, if your house is on fire. If you see that your house is on fire, you don't go... "Mm." I'm going to leave it for a bit. I'm going to wait until, you know, it's engulfed in flames. No, actually, you see that there's a problem and you put the flame out and that is a good thing to do. So the earlier you catch it, because it is that the more you drink, the more you are going to get addicted to alcohol. So literally, if you carry on going, it's going to be so much harder to climb back. So when you spot it, target it then and do something about it. 100%. That's such a good answer. Prevention. Prevention, exactly. Prevention is one of the biggest things. And I think that is a problem with a lot of the Western world, or especially with the UK anyway, is that we only go to a therapist and we think we're suffering with a mental health problem. We all have mental health and we always look after it. Um, You know, we only go to a nutritionist when we've got a problem that we need to, you know, maybe we've got high blood pressure or maybe we've become a diabetic or maybe we need to lose weight, but we never go for prevention. And it's the same with, with alcohol, you know. We only go 
something when we think we've hit rock bottom and actually there's so much you can do so many uh, even in this book there's so many different groups that you don't have to be an alcoholic to to be part of is it possible we use alcohol abuse as a crutch but aren't alcoholics in some cases Mm. Yeah, 100% because, yeah, again, the term is so wishy-washy that only you can diagnose yourself as an alcoholic. You cannot take a blood test and they go, oh, yeah, that, that's what you've got. You, you can abuse alcohol. I definitely abused alcohol. If I was feeling sad, if I was feeling stressed, I would go out, get completely obliterated until I forgot all my problems. But, of course, the next day they will come back tenfold because chemically and, and scientifically that's what happens to your body. But you can definitely abuse alcohol, even if that's just every time you feel remotely stressed you have one glass of wine because then you don't ever learn to deal with that stress so then alcohol suddenly becomes a regular habit and a regular coping mechanism Mm -hmm. and actually when a stressful situation comes up you don't know how to deal with it you don't know how to work through it because you are always just using your one glass of wine so Mm -hmm. you can abuse alcohol I think in so many ways. So what would be your coping mechanisms now? Yeah, so two things I do. One is actually do the same kind of thing, but with a non-alcoholic drink, because what so many people find is it is the ritual and the taking the time for yourself that is the relaxing thing and not necessarily the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So I will make sure that I get like a nice fancy glass. I'll put some ice in it. I'll go and like pop a bottle of like non-alcoholic beer or whatever it is, fill it up, go and sit down, have 10 minutes to myself where I don't look at my phone or I don't think about anything. Just sit there, breathe and unwind. And you're like, oh, okay yeah I feel better now and I think for so many people they think that's the alcohol but actually it's the fact that that is the first time all day that they've sat down and taken five minutes for themselves so (laughs) that is the first thing I do the other thing is I'm a massive advocate of the bath and I always say baths have kept me sober yeah baths are so underrated and anyone who prefers a shower I don't trust I bath all the way and so lastly what I always say to all my guests what does live well be well mean to you Millie Oh, just... I mean, being happy, to be honest, which comes kind of with my mental health, with my physical health, just taking care of myself, um, doing what's important to me and not, you know, what society sees as exciting or fun is, you know, if I listen to everyone else and what they said, then I would probably still be drinking. So living well and being well by doing what I truly believe is right for me. Fantastic. I think that's great advice. And that is definitely what we embody as well at the BY Collective is to support like how you feel and what's right for you as an individual. I think that's crucial. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, If anyone was wanting to know more about this or anyone struggling with uh, drinking at all, the NHS has a huge array of support as well and helplines that you can go to. Um, So do visit the NHS website if you need any further support. And also Millie's book as well, which has loads of amazing support on the back of it. Um, You're definitely not alone if you are struggling out there or if you want to become more sober curious. Um, Thank you, Millie. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you for listening to Live Well Be Well. I really hope you enjoyed that insightful episode. And if you did, please do leave a five star review. And until next week, I hope you all live well and be well. <laughs>